0: To me the role of a board should be a sounding board to founders. It's very hard for us to assume that founders know everything which is why the company's board of directors should be a voice of reason in everything that happened and the board isn't just made up by a single person basically various people with different line of thoughts so why has nobody bring this up at all I have no idea. In fact, that is what every investor that I've spoken to for the story question this.
1: Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leong, and high-profile startups can rise and fall given the macroeconomic climate or unforeseen circumstances such as a global pandemic that disrupts the supply chain. Today, I have Lam Kake. Deputy Editor of the Kent Southeast Asia, to discuss the rise and fall of Zlingo, B2B, near-startup unicorn, and examine the fallout and potential endgame after the bot booted out Ankiti Bose, their former CEO and co-founder, based on allegations of insubordination and suspected financial irregularities a few weeks back. And this is a big story happening, percolating across Southeast Asia. Kake, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Bernard. Thanks for having me.
1: Being our first-time guest, I always like to talk about origin stories. So how did you start your career?
0: Well, actually, it's a fairly straightforward one because I'm a journalism graduate. So after that, I have been in the industry since right after I graduated. So my first job was with also a regional-based tech media publication called Digital News Asia. So it was when I started to cover a lot more on business and also startups and venture capital. So after that, I moved on to the H property to cover a little bit more about property side, print, and online media. So it was an interesting learning curve for me. And after that, I moved on to Street Asia, which is currently uh, owned by Nikkei. So from there, I go deeper into venture capital and private equity, basically private capital investments, right? And And yeah, and in 2019, John Russell, uh, a friend and also a mentor he was tapped to help set up the southeast asia edition for the Ken, right and yeah, we all got together and say, yeah, let, let's do this. Let's bring in that reporting to Southeast Asia.
1: And our good friend, John, is now a partner in Crypto.com Venture Capital, has moved on to the other side. <laughs> but yes, yes. Curious, curious to ask, um, since now you're the Deputy Editor for the Can Southeast Asia, what is your current role and coverage? And what are the topics typically you cover in the region? I know Venture Capital is one area that you cover.
0: Private capital is obviously something that I'm always interested in. But being a Malaysian and based here in Kuala Lumpur, I'm also very interested in whatever that's happening in the business landscape of Malaysia. So particularly like funding agencies, of course, any government projects and also whatever that's happening in the startup ecosystem, recent stories. Include digital banking and the Malaysian Fund of Funds program, Pinnacle Capital. But because I have, I'm also familiar with the region, right? So I cover quite a bit of Singapore companies as well. Obviously, more most recently is Zilingo. Mm.
1: I was going through your portfolio of articles in the Kent, and I'm also a subscriber there. I know you cover a lot on specs and also on maybe sometimes the companies that are doing regional expansion. I think the most interesting one was Carsome. I think at one point you did an interview on that. I guess being a journalist, and you probably have heard millions of startup stories from startup leaders or even from the buy-side, the venture capitalists. What are the career lessons you can actually share with my audience?
0: I think I've always appreciated when people are being authentic. That is something I, I always remind myself to do as well, no matter where my, at what stage of my career. And because some, I noticed like as you speak with founders, VCs, investors, people from various industries, sometimes you you sort of observe that some of these people lose their authenticity as they move up their career and things like that. So I, I find I find that is, yeah, a little bit, how how do I say it? A little bit difficult for me to make peace with. Uh, so I I hope where, wherever you are, you can always maintain being authentic to to yourself and also to people around you. Right,
1: that's a great career lesson, I guess. Um, being authentic, whether in the times where you are a poor entrepreneur to where you became someone, a uh, major a titan in the industry. I think it speaks for a lot of people. So this comes to the main subject of the day because I got you here to talk about what happened to a company called Zlingo and maybe the potential scenarios that may lead to its end or maybe, maybe resuscitated again. And I think it's based on an article that you have written uh, called Zlingo's fight to survive with or without the CEO NKT Wolves which was published in the can, and I have a reference there. But maybe just for me, I will drop a quick introduction. Uh, Zalingo is a B2B fashion commerce startup founded by Ankiti Bose, and Durov Kup- uh, Kapo, sorry, and it's being backed by Sokoa Tamasic. But maybe I want to start from the chronology right from the beginning. Who are they? And what is the company about in a little bit more detail? And how do they operate?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so Zelingo is is headquartered in Singapore, but it was Ankiti's idea, right, back in, I think, about seven or eight years ago. So this is a story that was that I've told probably quite many times by her, where she was traveling to Bangkok and she was at the Chatuchak market where you have like so many vendors, retailers, fashion retailers there, right? There was just selling you all sort of things. And yeah, she, the idea occurred to her that how can I digitize this process? Like, so that's that's how the idea for Zlingo came about. If I recall correctly, Joe is a friend. And so they started to wanted to do this together. At that time, she was still an analyst at Sequoia. And she also had a stint at McKinsey & Co before that. So probably this part is a little bit murky, but uh, it could be they incubated the idea within Sequoia and then yeah they they launched it right so Sequoia obviously also support them in their seed round being one of their early, earliest investors so I, I think at the beginning the product was mostly B2C so it was consumer facing where they sort of it's a marketplace it's like something like your pomelo your your love bonito kind of thing that focus on fashion but over some time, they realized the bulk of the margin is actually in the B two B side, so that's when they pivot and sort of do a wholesaler marketplace thing. And also over the course of years, they they then expanded into other verticals like financing, and then apparel sourcing, and also and then the more late the most latest ones is the SaaS platform where they sort of provide software for factories to digitize their production to monitor all those activities. Yeah, that in a nutshell is what Zelingo does.
1: And and kept within the supply chain itself as a B2B marketplace. I think the origins question not explored by other outlets as well. I think during this course, whether you read Bloomberg or you read Morning Context as well, they talk about um, that other than the origin story told by NKT Bose, there's also the other origin story that it was an idea that was discussed between NKT Bose and her mentor, Shai, which mm-hmm. a lot of people know is the general partner for Sokova India and also they are the people fronting Sokoa Southeast Asia. So so this is, part of, this is the story that we're going to be talking a lot about as we move along this conversation. So how does the business actually work for... The lingo with merchants on their platform. So, say if I'm a, a apparel maker, how do I get onto the platform, and how does the business work for me, and what does the lingo gain out of the transaction? Maybe the question is really geared towards thinking about the business model.
0: This is also something that I have tried to understand for a very long time, right? Because I think it wasn't explicitly explained before. So. Which was why in this story, I was also dying to uh, sort of understand what, what is this B two B thing about? If I understand correctly, and a huge thanks to my sources for helping me to understand the business as well, is that you know how in in the fashion industry, there's the factories that produce the clothes, right? And then there is the retailer. And then in between, there's a middleman called sourcing companies, right? So it's a, it's a very traditional space. What sourcing companies do is that they would actually go around the world, or maybe they have a certain geography. It's a very traditional business, right? They do trips. They visit these factories, try to understand what is it that they want. That process is essentially what Zlingo is trying to digitize think of it as you know i'm not sure if you have heard of this company a supply chain company but it's called li and feng it's yes yeah, so, is a very
1: well-known logistics company from hong kong but it's quite global yeah yeah so they're yeah. a supply
0: chain company so they're essentially zilingo is essentially trying to be the digital version of li and feng but as as pointed out by one of my sources in the story is that yes there is no doubt that something has to change for for this apparel sourcing business but are the people ready for it because what are you going to do if factories and retailers are not going to adopt your digital solution how 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 do you get past that adoption phase that's that's one part of the business and the other part is uh, fairly straightforward right it's a b2b wholesale marketplace so merchants or wholesalers go on there to display their products and then you have retailers that are trying to go there and source for buy products in, in bulk so that's that's the other business so enterprise is the apparel sourcing business so then and then there is a the SaaS platform so SaaS platform is that they're trying to offer this software um, to factories which help them to track digitize monitor all their manufacturing assembly lines right so it's it's all real time generating data kind of thing so it seems that is the part that is doing very well for for them at the moment because I managed to interview Ankiti and according to her it's it's a very high margin business right of of around 70 to 80 percent gross margin so if they can expand that part of the business it could there is a chance for the business to turn a profit in the long run.
1: It's interesting because when we think about Zilingo, we started off as a B2C company. There's another company that I thought um, they were relatively close with, even though they're doing the part of their supply chain similar to Li and Feng. That's Xian in China. Mm. But whereas in the Chinese ecosystem, they really locked up the production, the factories, and the minimum quantity order. So the supply chain is much more vertically integrated, whereas if you look at lingo, it's a little bit more what I called partners or maybe handling the apparel makers as part of their supply chain. And that, that lies the, the major difference. And the fact that they didn't go B2C with that capability actually surprises me at the start.
0: I, I guess because the margins are not very high right, for, for B2C and also it was getting very competitive. At that time, it was starting to get quite hot already, right, in terms of B2C. Because uh, if I if I recall correctly, all this pomelo and the likes all started at about the same time. And then oh, obviously we also have Zalora, right, kind of saturated already. So I, I think, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good thing that they have pivoted into B2B.
1: One more thing to just just add, because being in the logistics space previously, um, actually sending apparel through logistics is extremely cheap because you can actually use postage to do it, Mm. unlike the other products. So you are literally using like a 30 cent stamp to send apparels across the thing. So in terms of the supply chain, actually where the real key is, is the sourcing, is the making of the apparel. If you can actually control that cost, your margins are extremely high Mm. on that. But maybe coming to the more interesting part, and I and I like the way how you are presented in that article of yours is the what are the who are the key investors behind uh, Zlingo and what does the their current uh, market capitalization table or what we call cap table look like?
0: Mm, so obviously, uh, Sequoia is currently their biggest shareholder, right? Because has Sequoia Capital India has followed on on every round. Or at least almost every single round, and they have also brought in Temasek in one of the later rounds, and Burda is also a significant shareholder, and then you have Coral Partners too. So the the rest the rest of the, but there are also quite a number of super early investors like um, WaveMaker too. Is an in, WaveMaker Partners is also an investor in them. Although I think their their stake is is much. Much, much smaller, probably in the single-digit percentage, right? But yeah, Sequoia, Temasek, Birda, Koru, and Sofina, these are all like rather significant shareholders. But the board currently only consists of Sequoia, Birda, and Koru Partners, as well as the two co-founders, Ankiti and Juf.
1: And Temasek as well, right? There was a board member that was there and then resigned.
0: Yeah, so currently, as of now, Temasek isn't on the
1: board. I'm very curious, how did they ended up being valued at USD 970 million in their last round of finance? That's why I call them a near startup unicorn. They are not really a startup unicorn.
0: Well, this question, I, I'm also dying to find out that I, I know as much as you do, right? Because this is definitely something that it's very hard to understand sometimes, you know, how how do investors value these kind of things? Because sometimes we think that a company shouldn't be valued at this price but they are right (laughs) so so yeah i I know as much as you do on for, for for this right so which is why when i spoke to several investors who are not shareholders in the company they did say it was uh when they come across the company during the pitching stage they they couldn't really reconcile with the fact that where the valuation is versus what the business is Mm. Like, so that viewpoint is not shared by just a single investor. I've spoken to at least five, four, four or five for the story itself. And, and they too share the same sentiment.
1: And because they pivot from B2C to B2B, so you can't do things like gross merchandise value, which is the GMV value for the merchandise as well. So it's very hard to value as well, right? Because I mean, even if they do the supply chain, you have to value as a SaaS company. Then the question is, how much are you paying for the SaaS service on recurring value as well? I mean, those data were hard to get. Even for me, when I was researching on this story, I also think a lot like, how do you get to this kind of valuation where a lot of it seems very opaque from the very get-go?
0: you're right. Yeah, so investors, they don't also really understand what the fundamental or what the core business is. So yeah, it, it's like a few factors at play here, right? But mainly, I think it's because it's too expensive.
1: Oh, la. <laughs> I mean, everybody's moving, fear of missing out. <laughs> and then ended up because one person say this is the number that everybody had no choice to follow. But I mean, that is when we were in a capital upmarket, not now, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I want to get to down to the events that happened recently. So can you talk a little bit about the chronology on how Bose, the CEO, former CEO and co-founder of the company, was suspended, I think, on 12th of April and then subsequently fired on uh, 20th of May, 2022?
0: Yeah, I think she was suspended much earlier, right? She was suspended in, in, at the end of March, if I recall correctly. So it was only at April 12th that the story broke. Right by by Bloomberg, so I think it was very hard to sort of pinpoint what exactly happened. But after that story broke, obviously there was a lot of attention on the company, what has happened, or rather, what kind of investigations that were being launched on on Ankiti. So there was a lot of speculations, obviously. But I think the the most glaring thing was uh, after Ankiti was suspended, there was there was a leadership vacuum in the company because there was no acting ceo appointed yeah 5 to 6 weeks there was just no ceo right and mm. hence employees obviously are starting to explore options of leaving the company and oh, and in in just that 6 weeks right there's like so many stuff that came up like it's it's even hard to actually very hard for me to also follow on what happened but i think the key the key events were like Ankiti was suspended and then very quickly, Shailendra from Sequoia Capital, India, has stepped down from, from his position at Zilingo's board and he was replaced by the fund's director and head of portfolio finance, Sandeep. And after that, very shortly, one of the key members of Zilingo, who is the public relations and commerce director, was also suspended and According to her LinkedIn post, she said that she was suspended because she was questioning the board about why was Ankiti suspended, but didn't get a reply. So there was something happening in between, and then she was suspended. And then after two weeks later, or about ten days later, you have news that holders have recalled their forty million loan to the company, and Zilingo said that you know the debtors accelerating. Their repayment, so they have appointed a financial advisor to for, for that process, and and Ankiti then was reportedly offered to repay all of Zilingo's loan that forty million, and just a few days after, you have more news on the company company's leadership, which is the CFO uh, Ramesh has left. And he has only just joined the company in March and was supposedly poised to take over uh, the CEO role, right? As soon as Ankiti is has exited the company. And and yeah, on at the same at the same time you have the board who has fired Ankiti. So that in a nutshell is is what happened.
1: I want to double-click a little bit, but I want to see it from all the different perspectives. What will be the perspectives to the event from Kitty Bose and her co-founder Drew, correct? Where are they? Where are the board of directors and the customers and partners? You talk about the loan repayment that's brought up. That that has some obviously some impact to the company, the financials of the company, and what happened to its employees as well, given so many turnover happened during this period. So can you tease out a little bit like these few different stakeholders what they want? I think. Maybe I will start off from the board of directors because there's a lot of discussion about acquisitions. Zlingo being acquired by an, another Indian company and suspected people was a company called moglix mm. And then or there was also rumours of the former CEO of Mintra that was actually acquired by Flipkart to take over Zlingo from Ankiti. So maybe we can tease that out first from the board of directors and then we move down the list.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. I think, I think for the board of directors... Uh, it's kind of hard to to determine what exactly went down right between the board and and Ankiti. but perhaps what I could say is that I'm pretty sure they are working out a plan, right what to do with the company, but as of now it's 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 very difficult to say what exactly that they have in mind because they haven't really come out to address whatever that were being brought up, right, in terms of the allegations, in terms of the investigations that were launched on the former CEO of the company. So if, if they could clarify this, then maybe we all can have, uh, you know, a better view on where things stand as of now. Because um, I, I did manage to interview Ankitty for the story and she she too is questioning I have I have no idea what does the invest what's what are the results of the investigation right, like my shareholders haven't gotten in touch with me for any dialogue about the future of the company or what has happened so far. No word at all, and obviously she she also did mention that this is what has played out in the public is less than ten percent of what actually happened. So, at this point. It's very, very hard to go into details of what happened. So the key part which
1: I didn't get are the allegations to the CEO true from the reporting that includes subordination and financial irregularities. Ankiti Bose have gone to Straits Times, uh, which is the largest media outlet in Singapore, and claimed that in the video that she did not see a final report that led her being suspended and fired. I guess because you have interviewed her, how viable is her defense and what does it mean for the company? going without her. I understand her co-founder is still on the Zlingo board and is still acting as uh, in his role as the CTO of the company, right?
0: Yeah. She has said the same thing to me. She has said the same thing to Bloomberg as well, right? And until the board can display evidence to show that she has conducted all these things that she has allegedly done, then I say it would be very difficult to say that she's in the wrong here, right? Because I believe that up until now, it's it seems like it's a single, one-sided conversation to me. So why don't the board come out and clarify some of these things, clear the air a little bit, like right? instead of just leaving everything on everyone in the dark. So for as for the company, I, I imagine uh, the morale would be super low right now within the company because you just don't have anyone who knows what's going to happen to the company, right? So obviously, the easiest thing to do is just seek another opportunity and and leave because there's just so much uncertainties, you know, salaries were delayed. Uh, When I was writing the story, one of the former employees told me that their salaries for April were only paid in, in late May. So for existing current employees, will their salary for May be paid on time or will it be delayed again? These are these, to, to some of these employees, like, it, it's people's livelihood. Obviously, when, when they think that they can't, they can't continue in this kind of environment, they obviously are going to leave.
1: So personalities aside, mm. there is a silver lining from the whole debacle centered on an acquisition. There's a lingo made in a Sri Lanka company called Anzinga. And what does this company do and how can their capabilities revive the fortunes of Zlingo? So one interesting data point and part I should add is that a lot of the large apparel makers, for example, H&M, they do a lot of their apparel manufacturing actually in Sri Lanka and Pakistan. So this is a pretty interesting point to sort of point out that that's the reason why the Sri Lanka company is of interest.
0: I mean, it was, a, it was a very small scale startup when it was acquired by, by Zilingo in, in late 2019. They bought the company for uh, $15.5 million in stock and cash. So what the company does essentially is that it's a software company that has a manufacturing execution system, which is basically what Zlingo says business is right now, right? which allow apparel manufacturing factories to track, optimize, digitize their manufacturing processes with real-time visibility so that you you can estimate and reduce wastage in in the entire manufacturing process. So everything is much more, supposedly to be much more efficient and it could improve the overall quality of, of whatever that the factory produced. So it was, from what I understand, it was near profitable when it was acquired. Yeah, and it seems that it now has become a very important core business of zilingo right now which is under the vertical called z factory so this was what that they are selling to the factories right now so it's priced according to each assembly line so this was what kitty explained to me right in my in my interview with her where where she said zilingo charged this on a per assembly line basis per month so the contracts can be like one to three years long, right? So in, in this sense, it gives the company a very steady and recurring revenue. And on top of that, as a SaaS tool, it has a very high gross margin. She said, actually, she see this business can contribute a lot like, to, the, to the company's future. And this, was, this will be a very useful asset if you know the company, if Zilingo is, is sold to, to another party.
1: So my question now then is, what's the end game for Selingo as a company now? Given the adapters are recalling the loan, and then what will happen to these assets like Nzinga? Are there any options for the company other than shutting down or being acquired? I know Katie Bose is trying to buy the company from her side. You know, getting funds from other private equity funds. So what is the likely end state here?
0: I think as of now, it's it's very hard to say. But but one one investment executive did break it down to me like it probably if the if the debt holders want to do it this way it could be a hostile takeover so they could sort of convert convert their debt into shares and then they sell it to either distressed asset fund or a special situations group and yeah, and obviously the valuation will be pared down significantly, but but that's how the company would would get to survive instead of being straight up closed down. So yeah, I mean I would I would be I would be curious to see what the board decides at the end of the day. But I think if it's salvageable then I don't see any reason for them to close that down, right? But but then again I'm not sitting on the board. So yeah, this is just purely from my perspective.
1: Yeah. I wonder what are the discussions currently sitting on the board. Everyone wants to be a fly on the wall. (laughs) So given that corporate governance have been the center of this conversation, I think one thing that it never explained to me from all the different media outlets is why hasn't the board taken actions since the company has stopped submitting financials since 2019?
0: Uh, well, this, your, your guess is as good as mine. To me, the role of a board should be a sounding board to founders. It's very hard for us to assume that founders know everything, which is why the company's board of directors should be a voice of reason in everything that happened. And the board isn't just made up by a single person, basically various people with different line of thoughts. So why has nobody bring this up at all? i have no idea in fact that is what every investor that i've spoken to for the story questioned this they were like how can you have marquee investors like sequoia capital Tomasek, burda how can they accept the fact that zilingo hasn't filed its financials and what was the reason given by the founder and if they were okay with it so why bring it up why why make this an issue now
1: so this comes to my next question, then a common thread that seems to be a media narrative from India to Southeast Asia from other outlets, for example, Morning Context, and I think, and it's also but it's not promoted by the cancel because I have to be pretty fair about this, right? Is that soko Capital is leveraging corporate governance as a weapon to oust founders from their companies. For example, uh, Ashton Grover from Parapete uh, a P2P lending company in India. Now, I, I don't have a position on this. To be fair to Sokova Capital, the VC has a stellar reputation. It's probably one of the top, or if not the top VC firm in the world, because they have a lot of famous companies from Apple, Google, Stripe, many, many top startup companies under their belt. So I guess my question is, to more established, what are the facts on the ground? And do you see this narrative hold any water in the conversation specifically for Southeast Asia and in the market? I mean, I talk to the gr- people on the ground. There are some entrepreneurs are like, they are very, very afraid to go to Sequoia Capital to raise capital because of what they have been seeing on the, all these things, events playing out in the open at the moment.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, no doubt, right? Sequoia Capital is a is a global brand. But also when, when it goes to Local and regional chapters—they are run quite differently. So when, when you talk about how Sequoia Capital it has a stellar reputation, I would, I would think of Sequoia Capital U.S., right, not necessarily the Southeast Asia or India side of things. So so that's one. The other is that the claim that Sequoia Capital India has leveraged corporate governance as a weapon to oust founder. I mean. I I think it's a case-by-case case thing. I wouldn't dismiss the fact that is it a pure co- coincidence that these companies that having corporate governance issues all happen to be portfolio companies of Sequoia Capital India? Maybe not a coincidence, right? I don't know. But you brought up uh, Bharat Pay, right? So specifically to that company, based on the news report that I have read so far, I mean, there were evidence that there are wrongdoings by the founders, right? Which was why he resigned himself instead of, you know, being pushed out by the board. So, but yeah, but when, when you sort of put two and two together and why is there like recently, why all these companies that are in trouble happen to be Sequoia's, Sequoia Capital India's company? It's like, who, who's, who's at fault here? Is it both? Is it single party? I wouldn't say it's a single party fault, right? I mean the board and and the founder are involved in every decision making. I'm, I'm not saying day-to-day, right? But strategic decision making. And also there's there's check and balance in terms of financials, numbers, and all that, right? So yeah, maybe maybe investors can always go back and say, we only know as much as what we were told by the founders. But I would argue it in a way that as investors, you have the right to ask for more. You can push back. Why didn't you?
1: I think this is probably going to be a story that we will both continue to monitor. And I think it's pretty interesting that how even very good startups can rise and fall very quickly. So, just before we end, I thought I wanted to ask you, since I have you on the show, I understand you cover specs and VC remote deal making in service Asia in some of your articles. I think one question I wanted to get is, what are your thoughts now on the current uh, funding climate due to the recent economic downturn that is uh, sprang off by things like inflation, the Ukraine war, and also global supply chain issues that's coming.
0: Yeah, I think suspects so have obviously slowed down a lot, right? Like a lot. I think almost to a halt. So, I think it's a very difficult climate for anyone who wants to go public, simply because the sentiments are very bad. Even if you are a solid business, good company, you would have to discount. You would have to give a big discount because sentiments are just very bad right now. In terms of deal making, I think. I think VCs are still making deals though, but but probably they would focus a lot more on founder's plan to turn a profit path of profitability and also maybe more scrutiny on more attention on product market fit instead of just, oh, I actually really like this founder. They're awesome. I, they don't have a product market fit, but it's okay. I'll just still fund them kind of thing. Maybe less, less of that, I, I imagine. What what are your thoughts?
1: Me? Yeah. Um. I. I mean. I. am I'm, I'm still looking for deals, but I think in the currently what I've seen is that at least in the web three where I actually do most of my angel investing in is that I think a lot of web three companies are having challenges. Mm. You can you can no longer raise just with a white paper and an idea, and get the kind of valuations that is way overboard because of the current uh, climate and also because of the crypto market tanking as, at the same time, right? But I think, I think the good companies will still stay. They will always be there. So it's just a question that now is good for me because there's less noise and more signal. This is pretty much where I think things are going to go. But I think one thing is for sure, but for new startups that are coming in, they have to try to figure out how, whether they can stay alive in the next 12 to 24 months.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For, for startups that has raised significant money but still haven't had product market fit, it will be a very difficult period for them because they, they just can't burn money anymore, right? I, I, it's hard to say how many companies will, will fall during this period but, but I would, you will definitely see quite a number of companies struggle.
1: So maybe my final question is, will we see a lot of startups going underwater in the next few months?
0: In the region, I think maybe not. But what we're already seeing is there's a lot of layoffs, right? Basically to cut, to, to, to reduce cash burn. So right now, what we'll have to see is whether if this move will, will work and if it doesn't, then, then yeah, then it will be companies closing down and, and we hope that it doesn't get to that.
1: So, Kake, many thanks for coming on the show and definitely I'll get you back in another time when you have a great story. We have great stories to tell and then we can continue this conversation about spikes, VCs and what and whatsoever. Sure. But in closing, I have two questions for you. My first question is any recommendations that have inspired you recently?
0: Oh, wow. That's a tough one because I'm way behind my reading. But I've watched a lot of Netflix shows. <laughs> so recently what I, I I really enjoyed was there was this Korean Korean variety show on Netflix called The Hungry and the Harry. Harry H A I R Y. It was just too Basically, two celebrities, and one of them is probably more well known than the other one. It's this singer slash dancer slash actor called Rain. I'm sure you know him, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was he and this other uh, famous variety show host. They just go on road trips across South Korea and they just and it's not just any other road trips right both of them ride super bikes they just rode around South Korea and they they look for food they have a good time with some friends local friends and stuff like so it was to me it was quite relaxing and therapeutic because you get to see different parts of South Korea and you get to see them how these two actually who are friends in real life interacting with each other that was something that I really I didn't think that I would enjoy it that much but I did
1: and and Rain is actually featured before in the Stephen Kobe show as one of the biggest dance-off at one point in time yeah and yeah, I think yeah. it also is reminiscent of that show from Ewan McGregor in Apple TV yeah plus where they go from the North to South America and then across the, the Silk Road as well. Yeah. With a bike trip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, final question. How can my audience find you?
0: Well, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, so you can definitely find me there, which is at Kakeh So, I'm, I'm also on LinkedIn, just key in my name, right? Lam KK and you'll, you'll find me and obviously, do subscribe to the can as well. We have team of styler reporters from Southeast Asia and India bringing you in-depth, original, analytical reporting from, from these two continents. So yeah, and if any of you guys would like to get in touch with any of us in the team, just give us a shout.
1: And you can definitely find this podcast on any podcasting platform from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, uh, for Apple Podcast to help us to discover better, give us a five-star rating and also drop us a review. Kake, okay, many thanks on coming for the show and I look forward to speak to you soon.
0: Likewise. Thank you, Bernard. Run it, run it, run it.